Uh, my name is Rod. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, I want to welcome you as well. Um, yes, and we brought our dog who has separation anxiety, so Tilly might have to take her to the Brunswick room for some quiet time. Overstimulated, Pip. Um, yeah, so sorry for the high-pitched yipping that may punctuate this morning. Um, I'm going to start with a prayer for the spirit of dog silencing to descend on our community. Loving God, um, be with us this morning as um, we look at the ritual of foot washing and reflect on what it is that Jesus wanted to teach his followers about you through that, how that might connect with us today and we thank you for your presence here with us. Amen. Uh, so, apologies if you're here for the first time. Um, today might seem A, because it's rushed, and B, because it's the third week in a series. It might be a little bit tricky to follow, um, but I'll give you a quick pricey of the last couple of weeks, hopefully bring you up to speed, and then... Um, we will uh, talk about foot washing, your favourite topic. I knew it would be. Um, is it just me or has anyone else out there <laughs> been looking at this and going, it does look like Jesus is spanking that woman? <laughs> so now that I've put that in your mind, we'll have to change the icon for next week, I think, because it's a little bit disturbing. Um, He's not meant to be spanking her, just so you know. And Shane chose that, not me. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're looking at the Jesus way as a wisdom tradition. And we're looking at the way wisdom traditions use story and ritual and practice and symbol and song to create a rich and deep, way of resisting the culture that we are in, a way that perhaps ideas on their own are not able to achieve. So that's the basic kind of idea behind the whole series. I shouldn't say the word idea since I've just dissed ideas. Um, and I decided to try to summarise what Shane said a couple of weeks ago in a little diagram because that will make it quick. Um, in a way, I guess, we're looking at two different gods. Uh, we did a series ages ago called um, Bricks and Bread to try to highlight the way that the gods of Egypt and the gods of Cain and the god Yahweh and how they are different. Uh, and this series, in some ways, is touching on the same area because the god of the market is very much the god of Egypt or the gods of Egypt a God that wants humans to be productive. Uh, we talked about making bricks because in Exodus, the Pharaoh does everything that Pharaoh can to make the people of Israel produce more bricks. So that's the goal of the God of the market, the God of Egypt's productivity. And productivity requires as much time as possible given to making bricks. And it also requires mobility to allow us to go where the bricks need to be made. So that is the modern economy. And the problem with that is that 
it is very destructive of relationships of care and community because relationships of care and dependence and any form of community stands in the way of that level of productivity and that level of mobility that is required by the gods of the market, the gods of Egypt. And what we saw in that series years ago and what we're looking at in this series is that if we are to be people of Yahweh, if we are to be people of the Jesus way, we need to resist the God of the market because what Yahweh wants is not the destruction of relationships of care or the destruction of community, but Yahweh's vision of flourishing involves relationships of care, involves community. And also, as we see in Genesis 1, involves a commitment to rest and not to endless productivity. And rest is not just not working, but it is time for delight, time for wonder, time for gratitude, time for all of these things that we see Yahweh celebrating in that first creation story in Genesis 1. So that's my attempt to very quickly summarise, I guess, the, the background to this series and why we feel like we need the Jesus way as a wisdom tradition to help us to follow the way of Yahweh, to follow the God that we have found in Jesus and to resist the gods that we find in late capitalism. Um, as I said, and we will make a connection between the gods of the market, God of Yahweh and foot washing, don't worry. Uh, but as promised, we're going to look at foot washing this morning, which is a, a ritual that is very common especially in the Catholic and Orthodox tradition around this time of year. So um, the Pope, bishops, patriarchs, that's such a great word, isn't it? <laughs> the patriarchs um, will go into churches and they'll wash people's feet. So it seemed like a good ritual, since we're looking at rituals, to focus on this morning. Um, and I'm going to get Annika to read the passage for us. Thanks, Annika. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and go to the Abba God. He had always loved his own who were in this world, but now he showed how perfect this love was. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that God had put all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God, rose from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Rabbi, you are not going to wash my feet, are you? Jesus replied, you do not realise what I am doing right now, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Rabbi Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. 
And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was and that was why he said that everyone was not clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You called me you call me teacher and sovereign, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your sovereign and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that that you should do as I have done for you. The truth of the matter is that no servant is greater than their owner, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Annika. So normally what we do at this point is... um, hand the microphone around to get people's reflections, things that they notice, things that they wonder about the passage. But um, because time is short this morning, we're not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to say a couple of quick things. We've also got Ruth who's going to come up and um, I'm going to interview her in a second about a foot washing experience that she had. Um, But before we do that, I just guess want us to sit with a question and this is something that we'll come back to later in the series but Jesus could have just said the thing at the end Jesus could have just said the truth of the matter is no servant is greater than their owner nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them but I want you to do these things because you'll be blessed I want you to wash and I want you to serve each other he could have just said I want you to serve each other put that idea in their heads but instead Jesus performed a ritual gave them a ritual for the future. Uh, And the question that we'll come back to is why? Why did Jesus consider that an idea and a ritual together had more power than just the idea? Uh, It is something, as we said last week, that communities of faith do, wisdom traditions do. They combine story and ritual and practice. Why are those so powerful? Why do they work in the way that they do? Um, and I guess for today, I just want to quickly touch on three things. Um, here's a picture of Pope Francis washing the feet of asylum seekers in, I think it's 2016, including women as Muslims. Um, so interestingly, within the Catholic Church, traditionally, a bishop will just wash the feet of 12 men. <laughs> um, so that highlights the danger in ritual that they can be co-opted, they can be put to purposes that they weren't originally set for. I guess it highlights the fact that story and ritual and practice need to be a package to kind of hold each other to account. Um, But at their best, I think, rituals have the capacity to engage the body in the way that ideas don't. Just looking at that image, looking at the image of this white Catholic Pope kissing the foot of an African man, an African asylum seeker, it just has a visceral effect that an idea cannot have. And I guess that's the thing, you know rituals are working when they really impact the body. If they don't, then you know they've lost their power. But Rituals are also communal. You, know, you need another person for this ritual. Um, in fact, you need 13 people for this particular ritual. 
And so the very nature of the, of the ritual means that it creates, it forms community around itself. And lastly, they are inclusive in a way that ideas are not. I heard a story recently about um, a foot washing Sunday that a community had and how for the children in the community it was just about their favourite week of the year because they got to collect water from the kitchen and bring it out and replace it and it was this kind of fun, engaged activity which someone standing out the front speaking into a microphone somehow doesn't engage children in the same way. Who knew? Um, And as in this instance... Uh, Rituals can be very subversive in the way that they engage the body, the way they um, can expose kind of instinctual kind of reactions in the body that an idea won't. Um, This particular um, choice by Pope Francis was quite scandalous, scandalous to a lot of Catholic bishops and there was a lot of pushback on this. It shouldn't shouldn't have been women, shouldn't have been Muslims involved in this, it should have only been Catholic men. And so there's something about a ritual too when, when it's performed in the right way that can be massively and powerfully subversive. So I'm just going to leave it there. Again, apologies that we don't have kind of interaction this morning, but it's just the nature of the morning. But we will be interacting with Ruth. Um, So before I call Ruth up, um, Ruth's one of the reasons why I'm in this community, because she and Sally said, oh, there's this place that you should come and visit. Um, So thanks, Ruth. I was curious to talk to Ruth this morning because um, I wanted to explore with her the difference between just having a belief and putting it into practice. Um, So Ruth, years ago, went to the States to be involved in a program where she was, I mean, Ruth can correct me when she comes up, but basically attending to the feet of a lot of homeless people, um, you know, giving them pedicures, cutting their nails. um, And before she went to the States, she already believed that serving the poor was something that God called followers of Jesus to. Um, so it's not that she had to go there to, to get that idea. Um, but what I'm intrigued by is how that experience, what it did to the idea, how it changed her, how it changed her sense of what it meant to serve the poor. Um, so come on up, Ruth. Since we're clapping today, you can clap, Ruth, as well. <laughs> Um, thanks, Ruth. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to get you to do is just tell us about the program that you did. So I don't know how many of you have heard of Tony Campolo. So his son had an organisation called Mission Year and it was set in America and you had to be under 30 to do it. And you lived in community for a year with five other people who were doing the program and for four days of the week, you would volunteer somewhere of your choice and you would spend one day a week doing stuff in the neighbourhood. Like if you had an older person maybe doing their lawns, babysitting, just sort of interacting in your community. And we were all put in very marginalised communities. 
And then uh, one day a week we would um, join in with a local church and then one day we head off. And I ended up um, at a homeless shelter which was also a rehab centre for men and um, there was a clinic there and we would look after feet and uh, just wash their feet, um, clean them. If there were any issues, sort of try and fix that and care for that. And then we'd give them fresh socks and shoes and then send them on their way. Yeah. So what, um, what surprised you most about the experience or how did it affect you in ways that you hadn't anticipated? Um, I think with my interactions before going there, when you see a homeless person in the context of Melbourne, um, there's no engagement. There's there's a sense of pity of this, you know, oh, you're doing it hard, things, you know. And then you don't kind of think of it any further. You just sort of walk on by and, you know, try and avoid having to give money. And there's no engagement. There's no... It's just something that you have to sort of divert past really and so being in a situation where you know all of a sudden I was sitting on the ground um, I was washing their feet we had foot spas so we let them have a foot spa and the whole process would take about 40-50 minutes and so when do you get to engage with a homeless person for 40 or 50 minutes and actually have space to have a conversation and that's for a homeless person their feet are generally quite dirty um, and smelly. And um, so there was initially this sense of, oh, you're at my feet and that's the stinky, horrible part of my body. And so it's this unsettling sense at the beginning, but then, you know, you would start having a chat and um, I feel like it created a space to just both be human together and to not have that you're higher than me, you're richer than me, you're more fortunate than me. It just, I guess it put us on a similar playing field. I don't know. And it just, you know, talking to them and, you know, finding out what's going on in their life. And it was really surprising. A lot of the men that were coming in and who were homeless in that area of America were Vietnam vets who'd come back and... Um, they just couldn't acclimatise back to life um, and they had addiction issues and ended up on the streets, ended up in jail, um, totally isolated from their families and just ageing, ageing on the streets. And so being able to have that conversation and just sort of, you know, talk about it, it was really, yeah, it was very powerful. It sounds like the kinds of conversations you were able to have because you were doing this thing for them yeah. were, were different. Mm. Yeah. And it felt safe. Yeah. So how do you think it changed you? Before I went, um, I was working in the disability sector and when I came back, I went back to that, managing services for people who were living in the residential setting. Um, and I think... I think it just made me realise how precious humanity is and giving someone their humanity. And I noticed the shift that when I came back, whenever I would work with someone with a disability, 
I would picture them as being, if they were my brother, if they were my father, if they were my child, if they were my sister, how would I want someone to care for them and how would I want someone to engage with them? And I think if you do that, it's impossible to treat someone poorly. You give them dignity because you personalise it. Yeah. Thanks, Ruth. Did anyone have any kind of questions for Ruth from the floor? I didn't prepare you for this, so it's okay if you don't. But any things... I'm always self-conscious as an interviewer that I've kind of missed the main thing anyway. <laughs> so any, any other questions that you think need to be asked? Oh, Josh has one. Have you ever had your feet washed and understanding like what their experience might be like from the other side? The only time I've ever had my feet washed is when I'm having a pedicure and my nails done. Um, yeah, and it's even when I know I'm clean and it's always very sort of, it's a little bit awkward. It's like, oh you're touching my feet and cleaning my feet and, yeah. So even as a person who is clean and is able to wash and stuff like that, it's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it, the way that experiencing something can expose things in Scripture that you're not aware of as well? Like I think about Peter's reaction to Jesus and how it looks like it's just, a, oh, no, don't do this, but that experience of humiliation, um, yeah, it never occurred to me. Peter not wanting Jesus to do it was there was a resistance to this is kind of humiliating to us both don't do it and how it just underlines how yeah how subversive it is to sort of push into that kind of emotional territory it's really the discomfort yeah the discomfort yeah even just at being at someone's feet without washing them mm. is kind of you know like I'm always mindful of that when I'm around people who are in wheelchairs of making sure I'm at the person's level. So going below that level is almost, you know, it's sort of lowering yourself and saying, you know, I'm mm. down here. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the way doing things with your body is so profoundly different from just having an idea. Alexis. This is more of a comment, I hope that's all right. Um, I know at least a couple of us in here have worked um, as social workers with people experiencing homelessness and um, it definitely does look a little bit different here in Melbourne and um, I can't speak for everyone because I haven't had that experience myself but a lot of the stuff we learned uh, doing that was that a lot of people experiencing homelessness do feel really invisible. So actually just, because I think we do do that thing where we walk by and we, you know, try not to look. But if you actually do just look someone in the eye and say, hello, how's your day? Like that, for some people, can go a really long way. And you were saying, how often do you get the chance to spend time with someone experiencing homelessness? But you actually can, like, ask someone if, if you can sit down with them and just have a chat. And you can actually just sit, like, if they're cool with it, you can sit and just talk to them for a little while. And, like, if you want, you can buy them a snack. But if they're open to that. But, um... Yeah, I guess you can have that opportunity and you can learn a lot from people by just having a chat with them. So just wanted to share that. Thanks, Alexis. Okay, thanks everyone. Thanks, Ruth. So as I said, we're really just opening up 
the topic of rituals this morning. We will have more weeks to explore it further, to go um, deeper, but I think that was a beautiful way of just entering into that space and realising the way that when our bodies are engaged, there is a lot more that we learn. Um, and it is, yeah, it's a lot more emotional, it's a lot more vulnerable than just talking about stuff. Uh, now, you will have noticed we didn't wash each other's feet this morning, so we've talked about rituals but not done any. Um, so I, I thought, in the spirit of actually doing something, we might um, do something a little bit different with communion this morning. Don't worry, it's not going to be too confronting or humiliating, hopefully. Um, but what I thought we might do is that we might get you, uh, as a crazy experiment, to when you pick up a little thing of juice to give it to someone else rather than with your feet. (laughs) So, massive physical challenge. Um, Yeah, so give it to someone else. Obviously, that will mean that you might be given one and then need to go and pick up one and give it to someone else. Yeah, so... Uh, so ultimately, it should work out okay that if everyone's giving one to someone else, that we'll be all right. And look, if you're too confronted by the idea of handling, handing a thimble of Jesus juice to someone else, that's totally okay. You can just pick up your own. Um, but just, again, as a way of tiny rituals that acknowledge the humanity of the other, the other that makes us connect a little bit with the other. Um, So just to spell it out so there's no anxiety, you can then come forward and get your own cracker. You don't need to give that to someone else. Um, Yeah, so when when everyone has a thimble of juice, then yeah, then just come forward, get yourself a little cracker. And when we're in a circle, I will pray and we will finish. Again, as with every week, feel free to not participate if you don't feel comfortable doing that. That's totally fine. There's no expectation to participate in this, um, but there's also no barrier to participating. So if you want to, please come forward and when we're all ready I will pray and we will be done. Thanks. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the gift of community. The way this can be a little practice ground for experiencing small amounts of of discomfort that lead to connection. Help us to use this place for that, to push ourselves a little bit when it comes to discomfort and vulnerability so that we might be people of courage and vulnerability in the world, representing the value of care and community and delight in the face of a world which values productivity at the expense of all other things so often. Thank you for Jesus who showed such profound courage and vulnerability in the way he lived. Help us to follow him on that path. We pray pray this in his name. Amen. Let's eat and drink.